0: walking through the book of revelation this morning's devotional brought to you by the church law group these are the fine folks who make sure our church leaders don't end up doing prison ministry from the inside and if you need to think about that one for a minute i'll give you i'll give you a moment not original to me but um they do great great works great work for us anyway um, we are into Revelation 13 this morning, and this is, without a doubt, I think, probably the most heavily debated um, chapter um, in the entire Bible, at least for the church of the last 200 years. And it's here that we, that we come upon um, this narrative around the beast, or the Antichrist, and the mark of the beast. And, and obviously we're gonna take some, take some time to really digest this, and we're gonna kind of treat it in a couple of different parts. And so we're gonna look at the first part of Revelation 13 today, and then the second part tomorrow, there's a lot to, to digest here. But I think once you, um, once we kind of walk through it, um, some of the, the mystery or the confusion or the frustration that surrounds these discussions hopefully will lift for us as we understand why John was recording this, what it meant to his original uh, readers in these seven churches. But let me read this passage, uh, the first 11 verses of Revelation 13. Pray, and let's dive in. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Heavenly Father, we ask for clarity this morning. And we pray that as much as it's possible in our humanness, that we set aside preconceived notions. We set aside... um, fanciful speculation and you give us the the eyes to see the ears to hear uh, the sweet um, content of your word this morning that's intended for our hearts and our lives in Jesus name we pray amen obviously no end of um, speculative inquiry over the last I want to say the last 50 years but it's actually been over the entire history of the church as Christians have come to this passage and tried to identify or understand um, who this beast is and what is the nature of its mark. And it's interesting that every era of the church seems to be able to identify, or seemingly, who they believe the beast is. And so for the Reformers, it was the Pope. And for Christians in Nazi, Nazi Germany, it was Hitler. And we can go all the way down through various um, um, eras of rulers and kingdoms and reigns and people trying to identify who this beast is. Uh, It's interesting in in our time. uh, Most of the speculation has been entirely upon the future and who is this beast. And and one of the problems with this sort of approach to this text is it's trying to make one. It's trying to make clear something that God. I don't think is is wanting to make clear to us in the way that we are demanding answers for it. And two, I think we're missing the central point. And, and John tells us the central point in verse 10. He said, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So in other words, whatever is in this passage, John's reminding us, this is not to fuel idle speculation. It's not to get us so caught up and captive in, in, reading news stories and watching uh, prophetic end-time scenario videos. It's, it's not intended to do any of that at all. It's intended to bolster our faith. It's intended to um, help us in our, in our fight for faith and in our endurance in walking um, out our faith in this life. Now, I think we can make some progress here when we, when we again, go back to the original readers, and try to understand what would have been in their minds as they've read this because remember it is first and primarily a letter to them two thousand years ago and so it would have meant something to them it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean anything to us it most certainly does as we'll see but we have to understand first of all what it would have meant to them so look back in verse one remember john has just told us in chapter 12 that satan is the red dragon and that he sort of stands behind um, human history in terms of the persecution of the church. So in other words, while Satan might be using various people and means and, and rulers to persecute the church, he ultimately stands behind it. It's, it's, he's, the, he's sort of the, I'm trying to think of the right word, he, he's sort of the moving force behind it all. And here we see it says the red dragon comes out onto the sea the shore of the sea and imagining we see this we see the red dragon this is satan of course and he's summoning these two beasts we're gonna look at the first beast today the second beast next tomorrow and remember for the jews the sea was a was a dangerous place they were not a seafaring people in fact in the ancient world the sea was always associated with danger or darkness or the abyss and we think about genesis 1 right where there is waters over the face of the earth and there's chaos and God begins to bring forth order. So for the Israelite or even for these churches, they would have begun to immediately associate this with a darkness, an abyss, um, chaos. And it's out of this abyss that, that Satan begins calling these beasts forth. And so what we're seeing here is that these beasts, whoever they are, whatever they represent, are doing the bidding of satan okay and it's interesting this first beast okay um seven heads ten diadems and again there's been no end of speculation the ten diadems are uh ten caesars or these ten diadems are um the ten presidents of the countries in the european economic communion and, and none of it works out right and i think it's because it's symbolic right so so horn is a sense of power um, heads, you know, is a sense of completeness, the seven heads and 10 diadems. I think he's describing rulers. I think he's deciding, uh, describing the reign of various states, right? Um, he's, he's drawing upon Daniel chapter 7. Remember in Daniel 7, Daniel saw four beasts and they represented four empires, remember? And so here in verse 2, he's combining all these beasts of daniel 7 into one and i think he's he's attempting to show us john is the power the rule the authority that the state has in carrying out um war or persecution against the saints and of course i think in its original context the the readers would have would immediately have recognized this as a description of rome and not even a subtle one so all the things that you see here, the blasphemy, the making war on the saints, the, uh, the authority that was given to the empire. I mean, we are right at the very headwaters of the official um, persecution status the church experienced under the Roman Empire. And so I think immediately they would have associated, associated this with, with, with Rome. Now, interesting, it says that one of its heads— received a mortal wound, and it was healed, and then people were amazed." And again, this this has fueled all sorts of, who who is this? I remember there was a prophetic book back in the 80s that talked about how the, the United States was the beast and the wound on its head was Pearl Harbor and people saw how that we were wounded and then ro- rose up from the ashes, so to speak. And again, I don't think that's what, what John has in mind. Now remember, you know, if you have your Bibles, and I know you do, Turn back in your Bibles to 1 John for a second. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And I think we're gonna understand a little more of what John has in mind here, because while there is certainly, I think, a fulfillment of this passage for the people at the time in the Roman Empire, I think that there are subsequent fulfillments for every generation, for every beast, for every organized opposition to the church, um, in in the history of humankind and we see john point us to this in first john 2 18 through 22 18 and verse 22 look at verse 18 children it is the last hour and as you have heard that antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come therefore we know that it is the last hour look down at verse 22 who is the liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son." So I think here he's denoting a, a spirit of the age, okay, and telling us that for every era of the church, there is a spirit of Antichrist. There is a there is an opposition, a formal opposition to the church. It could come in the form of the state, it can, could come in the form of a deceptive philosophy, and we'll look at that tomorrow, but John says, you're talking about an antichrist. This is so so good for us. You're focused on this future antichrist. I'm telling you, antichrist is already here. The spirit of antichrist. There's an antichrist for every age. Now, I do think what John is pointing us to, okay, is the idea that it may very well be that prior to the preceding preceding the time of Christ, his his second return, there might be an ultimate fulfillment of. of of evil in the form of an empire or person. So, because remember, every age has an antichrist, right? He, that's what he's just told us. And so every age of the church has to deal with the embodiment of evil in its midst, who's opposing it. So for the Israelites, it was Assyria, then Babylon, then Greece, and then Rome. Um, modern day times, it's Nazi Germany, it's communist Russia. Any era of the church's life where it's being persecuted primarily for its face okay before it's faith excuse me and so this idea that the the beast suffered a wound and came back and miraculous i think what john's describing there is that in every era these beasts these leaders rise up to persecute the church um but they always fade don't they they always fade they always um pass from the pages of history where is the roman empire now where is nazi germany now we could go on and on and on right But yet, there's always something that rises up to take its place, right? So, so while Nazi Germany falls, there's another uh, regime. Talk about the communist regime in China that that killed millions, right? Um, That you know that that reign is still happening in a sense in communist China. But one day it will fall. The Soviet Union it fell. Nazi Germany it fell. But yet. We know until Jesus returns, there will be a continual rising up of evil opposing the church, persecuting the church. And it's, it's kind of like we're amazed by it, right? It's like, it's the two-headed hydra, you cut a head off, it keeps coming back. It's the gremlins, remember that movie, pour water on them, they multiply. Same sort of thing with, with evil. It's, it may pass from one generation, but it will come up as an embodiment in the next generation. And so I think they would have understood this again, going back to Revelation 13, as a very clear reference to Rome, the Caesars, uh, the emperor worship, the persecu the organized persecution that was breaking out against the church, but yet, but yet. Um, every age will see its own version of the antichrist until finally, before the return of Christ, there there will be this I think a culmination. Okay, an opposition to the church, an intensification of evil, and whether that's in a person or a um, uh, or a state or a movement, obviously we we don't know. Now, why is John telling us all this? Okay, I think this is key. One that we not be surprised. Right, that we not be surprised at the opposition, the persecution the church faces in any particular age. Two, as we read before, he wants us to not be surprised so that we can endure, that we can persevere. I think three, he wants us to be in a mind as it relates to the future of preparation, not speculation. So sometimes we can be so consumed with with speculative thought That we miss the here and now and understanding what faithfulness looks like. I won't go into names, but there was a prominent figure in the um, end times eschatological prophetic movement in the 70s and 80s that you would immediately recognize his name, fell into grievous sin, okay? Um, And again, we're not gonna, I mean, everybody's responsible for their own actions. I'm just saying that you can focus so much on this that you completely miss the point of why John has given us, and that is for encouragement, for hope, for preparation. And so, Four Oaks, don't focus on secret societies and conspiracies and barcodes. We'll talk about barcodes tomorrow, what they don't mean. Um, but it's a, it's, don't focus on those things. Stay on mission, be faithful, share the gospel, pray, live out your lives in faithfulness, uh, readying yourself for the return of Christ, which could happen today, or it could happen a thousand years in the future until then we wait and hope do we not let's pray lord thank you for your word to us this morning to remind us that we don't have to live in a closet we don't have to live in a shadow conspiracy Uh, we are children of the light and we walk in the light and we at the same time we want to be sober-minded and realize there's always going to be persecution against your people and and we don't want to be surprised but we do want to be prepared And we want to stay on mission, stay focused, keep our eye on the ball. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Again, if you have a lot of questions about this, um, you can access, we posted it, uh, I think sometime last week, lectures by Don Carson that he gave at Trinity Seminary, um, which are super helpful. Remember G.K. Bill's book uh, his commentary on the book of Revelation. Of course, there's also... um, our main text, Unveiled Hope by Scotty Smith. And hopefully maybe some point after we've walked through the entire book of Revelation, we'll do a little live stream powwow where we take questions and and talk about some of these things uh, in more depth. Okay, have a great day.